Um, hey, we're in a series called The Throne of David, and uh, the reason why we're in a series called The Throne of David is that um, God says in Isaiah chapter 9 that the Messiah someday will reign on David's throne. And it, it, I read that back in the spring, and I thought to myself, that's weird. Why David's throne? Like, you know, why not the Messiah's throne or Yahweh's throne or you've never seen a God like this throne? He's going to reign on David's throne. You ever read the story of David and Bathsheba, God? You may want to rethink that whole title of that throne you're reigning on. Why David's throne? And uh, what, what we're looking at all summer long is how David, despite his very humanness, captured God's heart. How David so impressed God uh, that, that God was like, I don't, I don't want to just do my thing. What David was doing, I want to continue that because that looks like my kingdom. It's powerful stuff that a human could move God's heart in such a way that God gets behind the desires and intentions of a human's heart, is it not? Um, when I was uh, 10 years old, I got a guitar for my birthday, I think. Was that my birthday? It's like my birthday. I got a guitar for my birthday, and it just changed my life. Um, I had a bunch of different hobbies at that point, but guitar became like one of my main hobbies. And I would spend hours in my room playing my guitar. Eventually, I got an electric guitar. I'll, I still remember the day. It was a Gibson, or a, not a Gibson, the cheaper version. It was the Epiphone SG. You know, it looks like, it's like the, it's like you could play Hell's Bells on that. I didn't, but you could have. Uh, Anyway, I, I remember just having that guitar, and, and I would put in on my headphones uh, whatever it was at the time, likely Blink-182, my apologies, but I, I would put on music in my headphones, and I would try to learn the guitar chords and riffs, and I would just spend hours doing that in my bedroom. Uh, I, I got saved when I was 17 years old, and uh, it just radically changed my life. Everything from that point forward became about Jesus. It was just, it was like, I, I was talking to my mom uh, a couple days ago, and she's like, are you kind of black and white in your thinking? Because I'm really black and white in my thinking. I'm like, I am so black and my, white in my thinking. It's like ridiculous. It's either all or nothing. So it was all Jesus at that point. And uh, I remember that what God did was he just took that love of the guitar and, and he sanctified it and he said, this is going to be used for me now. And so I, I just found myself, maybe if you're a musician and, and you love worship, you've been there. I found myself just hours upon hours just playing my guitar, singing worship songs in my room. And uh, bad voice, bad guitar skills, but the Lord doesn't care about those things. I hope you know that. He just loves the heart. And so I would read that passage about David, how it just says, you know, he went, he, he didn't, the, the prophet didn't look at any of David's brothers. He looked at David because God was not after the outside appearance, but after the heart. And I was like, oh, that's good because, man, I, this isn't going super well musically, but I'm glad you love my heart. I, I remember I would, uh, throughout the end of my high school and into college, I'd wake up early. And I would just, whatever song I was, had captured my heart at that time, I'd just play it over and over and over again. I, I began to use worship almost like as my therapy. I'd have a bad day or something would have gone wrong, and I'd just go right to my room and just, okay, I got to worship. Or I'd have something, some issue come up, I'm like, I got to worship. I remember um, I, it began to just become the shape of my life so much to the point that uh, my junior year at, at Fox, my buddy and I had started this Bible study, and he, he had done all the teaching, and finally he's like, all right, I'm going to give you a shot. So I, we had this Bible study. It's like, you know, 100 people show up to this Bible study in this classroom in Edwards or in uh, Stevens, and, uh, and, and I'm there. I'm like shaking. I'm like, I'm going to give my message, and I basically just copied a Tim Keller message, just to be honest with you guys, but um, I just was like, 
I, 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 I came alive. And I remember what I would do. You know, I, I knew very little about the Bible. I, like, would read the Bible. I loved the Bible. When I would read the Bible, I'd come to life, but I knew nothing about the context. I didn't know anything about original languages. I didn't know about the historical Jesus. I knew nothing about the Bible, basically. And uh, I remember that I didn't even know there was such a thing as commentaries. You guys know what commentaries are? Some of you guys know what commentaries are? There's, there's people who have written entire books about the books in the Bible, and they've studied all the ancient stuff. I didn't know, even know those existed. So I remember I'd be prepping my teaching, and I would get to a passage, and I'm like, oh, what does that mean? And I'd be like, oh, gosh, what am I going to do? I, I don't know what this means, and can I call somebody or... Uh, and you know what I would do? I'd go get my guitar. I'd say, i got to worship. And as I would worship, the Lord would just put divine revelation, just boom, this is what I want you to say about this passage, and, and this, is, this is what this means. And I remember, people would come to me afterwards, they're like, where did you get that? What, what, what that idea? I've never heard that before. I'm like, man, I was just worshiping. And the Lord just downloaded it into me. And I, I began to ask the Lord, I think it's the great privilege of every believer, is we get to ask the Lord a very important question. Every single person in this room needs to ask him this. Who am I? Who am I? And I began to, in this season, right at the, towards the end of college and after, began to ask the Lord, who do you see me as? I, I, I'm getting glimpses of you. I'm getting a picture of your character, but who am I? And I remember him just saying, every time, every time I'd ask him, you're a worshiper. That's who you are. You're a worshiper. I thought, okay. And I remember I, I became a pastor a, a number of years later, and, and I thought, oh, I'm going to ask him again. Okay, now I'm a pastor, so God, who am I? I'm thinking, oh, he's going to be like, you're a pastor, meant to lead a church. And he's like, no, 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 you're a worshiper. You're a worshiper. It's who you are. Uh, it's my belief that what we're experiencing here at St. Hill is God is raising up a group of mighty worshipers. That God is actually raising up a people. He's not as interested in our worship as he is in worshipers. And so he's raising up a group of people. One of the things that uh, Jake always says is that God's not interested in workers. He's interested in lovers because lovers get more work done than workers. Sometimes we have this, this thought that, you know, there's Marys and there's Marthas. And if you're a Martha, you're just a Martha. You guys know that story. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha's doing a bunch of busy work around the house making sandwiches that Jesus never ordered and, and all that. And people read that and they, and, and what, well, Jesus says, he goes, uh, you know, Martha, what are you, you're consumed with all these other things. There's just one thing that can't be taken away from you and it's what Mary has chosen. It's a relationship. And uh, there's, there's this thought in the church that, uh, you know, there's Marys and then there's Marthas, and some people are just Marthas. And I'm like, I think a Martha said that. I think a Martha said that. Um, because I think in that story, we are all invited to be more productive through our worship than through our own ingenuity about what we think should happen in the kingdom. More than any other dream that I have for our church is that we would be a church known by our praise. We would be a church marked by our praise. Remember, uh, the first command that <clears throat> Jesus uh, says is the most important command is to love the Lord your God. It is the primary responsibility of every human is first, our ministry to him. First, choosing to love him. Am I positioning my life to love him? Well, this is the primary responsibility of every follower of Jesus. We were designed to choose to love him. Um, this doesn't mean that we negate justice. It doesn't mean that we forget about love for others. It just means that it comes first. 
go ahead, try to love others without loving God and soon you will control them. Go ahead, try to do justice without loving God and soon you will be proving how valuable you are and how amazing you are by all the things that you do rather than by what he said. So here's what I want to do this evening. Um, I had a message that I was supposed to give uh, about something else in the life of David, but specifically this last week, the Lord just said, no, it's time for you to break a piece of your life off and give it away. And so tonight I want to talk about worship. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 25. It's in the first part of your Bible, uh, 1 Chronicles. And um, the book of Chronicles is, is a really great book. Um, it's, it's kind of going through the life, the story of Israel, the life of David, and looking at some of the details of his life. First and Second Samuel deal with the life of David, but First Chronicles in particular deals with his life in a more detailed way. And, and I just found myself the other night, uh, I, I read this passage randomly. Have you guys ever done the thing where you open your Bible up and just whatever's there, you're like, I guess I'll just start reading this and see what's in here. I did that, and I stayed up till two in the morning just like going, oh my gosh, and then there's this, and then there's this, and so I just want to share some of these insights with you guys. One of the primary reasons why we wanted to look at uh, David over the summer was because of his heart for worship. He changed the entire way that temple worship was done. Uh, He changed the job descriptions of the priests, as Andoni said last week. Instead of only sacrificing animals to atone for the sins of Israel, David set aside 4,000 priests. Think about that. 4,000 priests to worship God day and night with song and music. Their whole lives, their whole job, this is what it is. You're here to worship. And I just want to give us just a little bit of a glimpse into um, some of this. So uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1. Are we all there? You guys alive? Okay. All right, here we go. David, together with the commanders of the army... Pause right there, look up. So I want to set the scene for you for a second. David is with the commanders of the army. In other words, it's the president having a conversation with his top generals. And I want you to pay close attention to what this conversation is about. So verse 1, David together with the commanders of the army set apart some of the sons of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun for the ministry of prophesying accompanied by harps, lyres, and cymbals. And then it goes on to give you a list of all of the men who participated in this. So I kind of want you to close your eyes and imagine this for a moment. I want you to imagine in Washington, D.C., the president meeting with a general, uh, an admiral, uh, the top-level military advisors of the different branches of the military. Just go ahead, and in Washington, D.C., they get a meeting together, and the president comes, and he says, okay, here's the deal, guys. I want to talk about a new military strategy. It's music. They're like, "Um, what did you say? Yeah, no, it's worship. David calls together a meeting, and what is he doing? He's inviting all the military head top leaders of the army, and he's saying, we need a new strategy. Here's the strategy. We need people to prophesy while playing harps. Could that work? Do you guys think that that's going to be a good idea? Is Is that okay? Picture that. Now, don't, don't misunderstand that the military generals weren't wasting their time with a music meeting. They're like, did, did, you get the, did, did we get on the wrong email thread? How did we end up here? He's like, no, no, no. This is the military strategy. 
This is the thing that we're doing. We're going to set apart men for the ministry of prophesying accompanied by harps, lyres, and cymbals. Do we have harps? You got lyres, cymbals in the back? Okay, great. Bring those. We're going to need some people to prophesy according, or in another translation, with those instruments. It's our military strategy. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this or this concept, but our worship is warfare. Our worship, when we praise, is, is warfare. Uh, what, what you thought this evening was just a church meeting uh, was actually a group of generals come together to plan the defeat of the enemy with song. That's what we're at this evening. H- have you ever noticed how um, a melody has the ability to get stuck in your mind and it just stays there for days? Cotton Eye Joe Ever been there? You're like, I just, it's like through my head just constantly. Never play that around me. I'm just, I will be gone for like two weeks. Could we get somebody to turn the AC on? Anybody? Is it Evan? Can you go turn the AC on over there? I thought it was on, but I don't think it's on. I'm not feeling anything. Um, (laughs) Worship is like the truth of God getting stuck in the mind of the world and in the heavenly realms just repeating over and over and over again his plan, his truth, his desire. That's why we worship. This is a popular song. You guys will probably know it. Next slide. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, our God reigns. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What happens when you read that? You can hear the melody, can't you? What happens when you read that? It's just like, oh, this truth. It's just truth repeated. It does two things when we worship. It speaks truth to your heart. The first thing it does is it speaks truth to your heart. You're like, yeah, death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. I'm going to start walking in faith. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, our God reigns. Your name is above all other names. So that means that in my life, there is no name that is higher than your name. Yes, it's speaking truth to me. That's why when we come in and we worship, it actually feels like something. It does something. Why? Because it's rewiring our heart. And it's rewiring our brain to think kingdom to think saved. But also, when we worship, when we read something like that, it is speaking into our surrounding truth. It is speaking into our atmosphere, into the into this city that we live in, truth. Don't think that we're just singing songs or we're just singing words. We're not. Psalm 22.3 says this, but you are holy, speaking of God, enthroned in the praises of Israel, But you, God, are holy. Where does he dwell in the praises of Israel or in the praises of his people? It's not just words. It's not just a song. It's actually an invitation, come make your throne here. And how many of you guys understand that wherever the king goes, the kingdom comes, right? Wherever the king, the king doesn't travel without the kingdom. And so wherever his people praise, there the king goes. Wherever the king goes, there the kingdom comes about. 
So think about what that can release when we come and we declare that kind of truth and we come and we worship or when you're in your bedroom and you're singing out worship or you're driving your car around and you're singing out worship or you're walking the streets of Newburgh and you're singing out worship, do you know what's happening? You are laying a target for the atmosphere of heaven to come so that God's authority, his rule and reign would make a home in this place. Come make a home in my home, Lord. Come make a home in my car, Lord. Come make a home in my city. I must see it look more and more like the kingdom. So we're not just singing songs with our praise. We're inviting a kingdom atmosphere. We're waging war against everything that isn't kingdom. Brokenness, pain, violence, deceit. What are we doing is we're saying, God, in this place, would there be no more brokenness, no more pain, no more violence, no more deceit? No, we need you to come and to make your, your kingdom here. So, so it's our great privilege when we come and we worship, that's why we spend 45 minutes in worship. I, we, tonight was an hour. That's why we spend time in worship. Why? Because it's an invitation for the kingdom. It's a, it's a, it's a place where God actually dwells. It's our responsibility to praise. It's our responsibility to praise. It's our responsibility to go somewhere and worship. We don't just come, Jake alluded to this earlier, it was beautiful, we don't just come to sing songs. It's not like a warm-up, like, ah, uh, yeah, uh, music is fine, but I'm ready for some meat. No, 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 that was the meat. It's not like we come and we're like, ah, oh, can somebody please, you know, is it entertaining? Do they have drums? They don't, still don't have drums, I'm out. <laughs> no, no, no. See, we don't worship worship. We worship him. And so we come to go somewhere. We give ourselves 45 minutes. I don't, I don't know many other churches that do this, we, but it's a priority. Worship is a priority. We give ourselves an hour set aside in our schedule every night to worship. Why? Because we don't want to leave the way that we came in. We don't want our town to stay the same. We come in to meet with him and we come in to see what he's doing so that we can align our hearts and our, and our actions to go in that direction. We're not here just to come do our own thing. It's like, oh, are they going to play Reckless Love again? Oh, no. Ah. It's like, well, did you ever think that maybe the Holy Spirit's up to something different than that in this season and it's time for us to, okay, where's the sense of heaven? I'm going that direction. Praise, what it does is it, is it breaks new ground. It's, it, praise is, is a pioneering act. Praise is not for the faint of heart. Praise is not for the, the, the believer who just wants to sit. It's not for you. It's not for us. What praise is designed to do is actually break new ground and, and go in a direction where we actually as a church or as a people or as a town have never gone before. So sometimes you're sitting there like, I don't even know if I, I'm kind of, my legs are kind of tired. Yeah, it doesn't matter. What, I don't, it's not for you. <laughs> your legs can be tired, but you're still called to break new ground and go somewhere where your town has never seen before. I saw this image uh, when I was uh, preparing this of just a plow. You guys know how a plow works. It goes through the ground and it creates a furrow uh, where seeds can be planted or whatever. It's a farming tool, right? And I just saw the Lord like, he's like, have you ever wondered why sometimes it's, it's actually a choice to worship? I'm like, I have. He's like, 
Because you're behind a plow and you're breaking new ground with me. I'm giving you a direction and now you're putting your effort, your energy, your heart's intention in the same direction and nobody else is doing it. So you have to do it. It's time to break new ground. What we're doing is we're clearing a place for the Lord to come and dwell. He's enthroned on the praises. And so it's those praises as we push that plow that he goes, oh, they've made such a beautiful spot for me. My kingdom's coming there. There's all kinds of imagery in the uh, Old Testament. I think maybe Jake even mentioned this about creating a highway for the Lord. Any of you familiar with the highway language? Just by a show of hands, I got to figure out how much teaching I'm going to have to do. Okay. Nobody's really that familiar with it. Okay, so here's basically the, the, the thing. All throughout the prophets, the prophets speak, they say, uh, lower the mountains, raise up the valleys, clear a highway for the Lord. What is going on? The, what is a highway? It's a place that is easy to access a destination. So here, here's what's happening. When we're praising, when we're pushing that plow, when you're like, oh, I'm tired and I'm not sure if I want to do it, and it's like, okay, no, I'm going to plow, and we push that plow, what's happening is we're creating a highway for everybody behind us who didn't have the energy or didn't have the ability to go into his presence. It's like, oh, it's just easy to get to his presence. See, I want a town that it's impossible for people to not have at least tasted and seen of his goodness. I want a town where it's impossible for, in every single home, they've had an opportunity to walk the highway and make their decision. John the Baptist says, make level the, the, the roads, clear a way for the way of the Lord. And what he's saying is, clear a highway so that it's easy for everybody who can't clear it themselves to just go, the glory of the Lord is right there, and now there's a choice before me. What worship can do is it, it can break down things that seem to loom so large over a place or over a group or over a people. It's like, oh, that's an impossibility. It's never going to happen. It's like, no, get some people into a room and start worshiping and watch what happens. Watch what happens. Suddenly, when worship, when a town becomes known for worship, I, I really believe this, guys. I believe that Newburgh will be known as a place of renewal, that it will be, uh, the, 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 the word Newburgh is going just like, you know, Kleenex is synonymous with just tissue. It's like, oh, I need a Kleenex, right? Newburgh is going to be synonymous with a massive move of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that this move is beginning. It's, we're tasting first fruits. It's really fun. But what, what we're going to see is we're going to see a town known by its praise. A town known by the highway. Oh, it's just easy to worship here. I don't have to get into it. I'm in it. Jesus talks about worshipers who are able to clear, to plow, able to clear that, that highway. And I, I am encouraging, I'm exhorting you to become uh, these types of worshipers. And he marks them with two different characteristics in John chapter 4. Here's what he says. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks He's after worshipers. And what are the qualities of these worshipers? Well, he gives it to us right here. They're, they're, they worship God in spirit and in truth. Why? Why? What is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is what controlled the ministry of Jesus. I've used this example before, and it's not mine. It's another pastor's. But when Jesus went and was baptized, came up out of the water, it says in the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit came down and rested on him, and there it remained. Isn't that interesting? There it remained. 
there's imagery in that gospel that the Holy Spirit takes on and it's of a dove. So it says that in the vision, it says the Holy Spirit, when Jesus was, came out of the water, the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove and, it, and there it remained. I want to ask you a question. If you had a dove on your shoulder tonight, how would you move through this room? Be like, can we go here? Oh, okay, we're going over there. You're kind of scratching me there. Okay, flapping in my face. Okay, we're gonna. Okay, we're gonna go here. Every single move. Here's the point. Every move would be made with the dove in mind. <laughs> it is good. It is good. That was the correct response for the rest of you. Um, every move is made with the dove in mind. So, so here's what is being said. What is your life to be like in spirit? I want to worship him with my whole life where every move I make is with the dove in mind. I don't want to make a move. I don't want to make a purchase. I don't want to make anything in my life happen without the dove in mind. This is something the Lord is deeply doing in my life with podcasts. I love podcasts, but now he's just like, hey, because you can't afford to have a thought in your mind about yourself that I don't have in my mind about you, because that's, you can't afford that, you need to submit every podcast to me. And so you know what I do? I just I go, God, can I listen to this podcast? I don't feel a level of peace about it. Okay, I'm going to listen to it. Uh, this one? No, you know, it's time to worship. I'm going to play some worship, and I'm going to actually renew my mind. Keep on speaking to me. You know, everybody's trying to renew my mind with, with, with what they think, but no, I, I need you to actually renew my mind with what you think, Lord. That's, that's the spirit. It's worship in spirit. But it's also worship in truth. What is that? Truth is agreeing with what God has said. He spoke the truth. It's agreeing with what he said. How did Adam and Eve go wrong in the garden? They disagreed with what God had said, and they agreed with what the snake said. How do we worship God? We agree with truth. So what is he after? The kind of worshipers that plow new ground, that create a highway, are the kind of worshipers who have the dove on the shoulder, and they love the dove, and they go where the dove wants to go, and they're constantly asking the spirit, is this where you're going? Is this what you're doing? You see this with Jake and the worship team all the time. They, they, they're not just playing songs. Those are, they didn't plan all those songs, by the way. There were certain songs that it, there was a melody that rose up, and they thought, oh, this is, goes in this direction. The dove is going here. The spirit's doing this thing, and so we're going to follow. That's what we're doing at every single point in our gathering. It's what we're trying to model so that our lives as a church become more uh, concerned with what the spirit is up to than even our own planning. What God is looking for is he's looking for a group of people who will follow the spirit and believe the truth and in doing so give him such a complete and total yes that the promises of God that come with his presence find a resting place. You're like, I have promises of God written down and I'm seeing none of them happen. Worship. I have promises of God over this city. Guys, I have 10 pages, single space, of different words and promises that people have given me or our team about this church. And there are things that are too wonderful for me to even share. I, I gotta be careful. But I go through and I read those things and, and, and I don't go, God, what are you doing? Why isn't this happening now? It's like, no, he's inviting me into a process where he goes, are you the kind of worshiper in spirit and in truth that will plow a place for my promises to actually be buried and bear fruit? Because if you don't plow the place, I'm not throwing my promises among the weeds. 
God has, um, he has so linked his arms with humans that renewal, that heaven coming, is set at the pace of human participation. God is so, he, he is, he, okay, in Genesis chapter three, he had a choice. Humans made a, ma- made a mess. He could have just said, they made a mess. Oh, gosh, okay, fine. I'm just going to come in here and do it for you. But instead, he said it's from the seed of a woman, from a seed of a human, that there's going to be redemption that comes to humanity. Why? Because God is not interested in overriding our free will and just stepping in all the time and just, I'll do it. Now, I believe that he does. Every now and then, the Lord will do things like that, and I praise God for those moments. But God is interested in linking arms with a group of people that will give him such a complete and total yes that anything is possible through their lives. Here's what I mean. Maybe this will make more sense. God may make a promise over your life, or he may make a promise over a group of people, and he will fulfill that promise, but he isn't obligated to fulfill it with that generation. (laughs) The book of Exodus is an example. I have this promised land for you. Guess you didn't experience the promised land, the people who were first given the promise that they would experience the promised land. Why not? Because they were not worshipers in spirit and in truth and they were led away by other desires and did not submit themselves to give a complete and total yes that the promise of God would have a place to bear fruit. So he waited a generation. And I believe this is like a wake up, it's a wake up for me, but I believe this last week the Lord was saying, you want these promises to come, but are you clearing a place? Are you, are you, are you worshiping in such a way in spirit and in truth in all of your life, not just in songs, that my promises have a resting place? Because I'll find somebody else who will give everything for these if you're only going to give 20% for these. A worshiper in spirit and truth is what they do. They go, I have this, but I have to give up this to get kingdom. Oh, that's easy. I want kingdom. But for many Christians, they live powerless lives. They live lives outside of, uh, that's not how I want to say it. They live lives that are not as fruitful as what God has intended in his heart for them. And it's because when they're presented with this option or the kingdom, they go back and forth, back and forth, and they kind of lean towards this option rather than the kingdom. And it's not that you're not going to be blessed. It's not, that, it's not about that. It's not that you're not still righteous in Christ. All of those things are very true about you. It's just that you may not step into all that God has for you in a particular place and with a particular group of people. And I'm here... I moved here, I sacrificed to be here because I'm here for revival. I'm here for renewal. I'm here because I saw that and I said, and and it's not just a one-time moment for me, it's daily. No, I'm gonna say no to that so that I can say, give my full and complete yes to this. This is what breaks new ground. This is what God uses to change a place. Now, one more passage. Turn in your Bibles to the right over to Isaiah. How are we doing? It's pretty hot in here, huh? Yeah. Uh, turn over to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42. I just love this passage. This is so good. So we're going to try and, I, I saw some guys working on the air conditioning earlier today, and I just wonder, maybe maybe it's, maybe it's a two-day job or something. Um, <laughs> it's like, are those contractors coming? No? Okay, another job. All right. Um, anybody who's ever remodeled, you know how it is. It's like, they said they were going to do that, but... I haven't seen him in like five days. Uh, 
So um, we'll just, yeah, God bless the air, air conditioning. Holy Spirit, wind. Don't you guys want some of that? Just blow through the room. That would be good. Um, Isaiah 42. I just want to address another thing real fast. This is just a beautiful passage, another thing that was on my heart. It says this in Isaiah 42, verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song. I love that. Not the old song. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them, let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. The Lord will march out like a champion. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal with a shout. He will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. Uh, what, what's being said here? You're like, where are all these places? Where's Selah? Kadar? I don't know where Kadar lives. Like, what? where are these places? What, what the uh, prophet is doing here is he's naming all of the towns, the, most, the northernmost town, the southernmost town, the easternmost town, the westernmost town that they knew of at the time. And he's saying, all of you towns, praise the Lord with a new song. All of the earth, every single corner of the earth, praise the Lord with a new song. Now, um, this phrase, sing a new song, is repeated 87 times all throughout the scriptures. It's very common. What is the new song, though? Have you ever wondered, like, what is the new song? Well, it's certainly not the old song, right? It's the new song. Um, it, but is it like, is it the, is like the new Hillsong album comes out, and he's like, that's the new song, sing the new song? Or is it like, Bethel has a new hit, and you're like, that's the new song, we gotta sing the new, why aren't we singing the new song, Jake? Come on, let's sing the new song. And uh, please, please don't do that to him. Uh, let me just protect you, buddy. Um, <laughs> sing to the Lord a new song. What is it? It's my opinion, but I think the new song here is referring to someone singing what comes to mind or what comes to their heart in a specific moment that has never been sung before. It's, it's often, are you, are you hooking me up? Yep. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. I need that. Hang on a second. That was good. Often, the new song comes from the imagination of a fully alive son, a fully alive daughter, who, who want to see God do the impossible. You're driving in your car, and you're thinking about that circumstance with, 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 your, uh, with, with somebody in your family, and you just go, God, heal their cancer. God, heal their cancer, God. And you start singing. And it's like nobody's there to listen to it. It wasn't for them. It was for him. And you just start declaring something about melody, guys. You just start declaring it. And he's like, oh, that's, that's the new song. And notice what the result of the new song is. Look down in your Bibles, verse 13. The Lord will march out like a champion. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. And with a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. What happens when you sing the new song? It stirs God up to triumph over his enemies. Isn't that good? It's like in that moment when you're going through that situation and you sing the new song, what you're doing is you're saying like, right here, God, this is where you need to conquer. This is the enemy that I'm up against. Right here, God. I have a friend of mine named Chris Vienen. And uh, one of the things that he does, I just love this about him. He's really just apostolic, just really wants to be on the front lines. And 
he uh, takes a group of worship leaders every year to Dubai, and he gets as close as he can to the terrorists. He's like, I know where the terrorist camps are, I know where they are, and so he gets as close as he can, and he has a bonfire all night and just worships. And he's like, right here, Lord, setting a target. I have nothing to fear. What hell meant, meant to break me, it's gonna fail. I'm more than a conqueror. And they just declare praise. And why do they do it? They're singing the new song. And what happens when they sing the new song? The Lord stirs himself up like a mighty man. He gets zealous and he goes out and he conquers his enemies. It's not just worship. It's not just a song. So for those of you who call Saints Hill home, this is a charge for you to lift up your voice when we worship. This is a charge for you. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that there's a lot of people excited about God in this house, and I've noticed that there's some people that are still curious about him. I want to encourage you, praise and watch what happens. Worship and watch what happens. What's the, what, what do you have to lose? Worship and watch what happens. You're like, no, it's not part of my personality. Yeah, well, it wasn't, it's not about you. It's about him. You're like, oh, I just don't really like singing. I don't have a great voice. Yeah, well, it, it, God doesn't care. He cares about what's in your heart. Are you using your body to give him glory? So get out of your chair. <laughs> get out of your chair. Stand, sing, raise your hands. Why? Because it's physical obedience, a physical display of how we feel about God that causes spiritual release. Here's my dream. My dream this evening is that there would be a priest in every home in Newburgh. That's my dream. A priest in every home. I, I was, uh, this week I was walking around our neighborhood and just, I just, honestly, I put my headphones in and I go around and I just sing. I just worship. And I just, I don't care who lives, where they live, or what's going on. I'm just saying, kingdom of God, come here. I just do it. I, when I was living with my in-laws up on the hill over there, I remember there was a hike that I would take with my dog in the mornings, and I'd have my headphones in, and I am just singing out over our valley. Just singing. I'm, I'm plowing, I'm plowing. What am I doing? I'm plowing so that there are people who come after us that have easier access to him than we did. I want a priest in every home. David was anointed king, not priest, but it was the lifestyle of being a priest that really made him the king after God's own heart. His, his times alone, his times working, his times in fighting and conflict, all were places in David's mind that were qualified for the presence of God to come and to eventually influence. He turned everyday boring landscapes into incredible places of encounter while you're mowing the lawn. I don't know why I just got this. While you're mowing the lawn, worship. You never know what could happen while you're mowing the lawn. While you're driving, doing your errands, worship. You never know what could happen while you're doing your errands. David had a lifestyle. that it quali David's kingship was a result of his priestship. We have been given a royal identity by God. We've been invited to co-rule and to co-reign with him. But the reason why we're qualified for that, I don't even know if that's a language I want to use. The reason uh, what sustains that is our priestship, our ability to be a priest. In the Hebrew tradition, priests have several duties. Here's just a few of them. Uh, intercession. Uh, there were 12 stones on the breastplate of uh, every priest that as they would go before the presence of God, they would bear a representation of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so they were constantly interceding on behalf of Israel. 
uh, they, they existed to do sacrifice, to do worship and praise, to, uh, to praise God. They existed um, to, com- to be communicating between God and the family. That's what a priest does, is they communicate. Here's what I'm hearing from God, and here's what I think maybe for you. And they give an example of what co-ruling looks like, what is possible for every human. So think about this. My dream is that every home in Newburgh would have a man, woman, or child who could bear the rest of the family in victorious intercession before God, who would worship in the home, create an atmosphere of praise for the kingdom to come to that home, and to speak God's words over the family, whether the family realizes that they are from God or not. I want secret agents for the kingdom in every home. That's what I want. See, there's something... um, about the family this evening. I'm going to skip a few slides, so don't worry about it. Um, there's, when we were reading the First Chronicles, you can go and read. All of the people who were hired, essentially, to worship were sons of different military leaders within Israel. They were sons. The parent sets the tone for worship in the family. For those of you who are parents, you're setting a tone for worship in the family. Renewal runs along family lines. And so one of the things that we dream about here at Saints Hill is leaving a legacy for our kids to inherit, that they would inherit a legacy of praise. I still have memories of walking down the stairs early in the morning and seeing my mother laid out on the floor praying, worshiping God. And she wasn't gonna change that because I, I woke up. She was gonna continue on behalf of the family, interceding, praying for renewal, uh, inviting the kingdom to come make its home in our house. And it radically changed my life. Radically changed my life. So I wanna ask you this. What could happen in your home if you viewed your primary responsibility to worship? What could happen? I want you guys to stand with me. We're gonna close.